0: I know that's important to you, and I hope you've got it. So, if you would stand for the reading, we'll take verses 25 through 35, Acts chapter 16. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed, and the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas, And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and immediately He and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Please be seated. Well, of course, Paul and Silas were arrested for performing an exorcism, casting a demon out of a girl. We don't know her age, uh, but she was young, a young servant girl who was channeling evil spirits, and uh, they were arrested, beaten, and put in jail. This morning's message is entitled, What Hell Feared? Beginning at verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. This is defiant misery, not ministry. It is ministry. But this, they are hurting these two men. Paul would later write to the church at Corinth, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. That coming from a man like this, you pay attention to a lot faster than someone who has not stood in the gap and suffered for what they claim to believe. Beaten, jailed, shackled in a foreign land, too miserable to sleep. It's midnight, and so the duo breaks out into prayer, and in that order, prayer and song. They began praying. The spirit filled their heart. They began to sing. Such people like this do not escape from jail. They escape in jail, and the people were listening. The other prisoners were listening. The jailers, uh, they were sleeping for a while. Reminded of Psalm 95, Oh come, let us sing to Yahweh. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Well, it's kind of easy to do that when things are going well in your life. You have what, um, what we would say a pep in your step. But when you've been sucker punched by life, when you've been broadsided, when you've been T-boned by life, it's not always so easy to sing. Maybe sometimes, but after a while it gets old. Here these men did not allow themselves to be done with praising God. In the midst of pain, they were praising the Lord. They the caning they received was not just, you know, like a visit to the dentist. And just, well, I got a little soreness. They were beaten like animals publicly. Without waiting for their circumstances to change, they are praising the Lord. Without knowing that God, as they were in that jail, even before when they were being beaten, God was fashioning a world of opportunity for these men. To bring people to Christ. More people to Christ. You just don't know what God is doing. He's always working. Jesus said, my father works till now and I work till now. It says, and the prisoners were listening to them. Uh, Did Paul and Silas consider that maybe they were keeping the prisoners awake? (laughs) They're singing? I I don't think that was the issue at all. I think they knew that they were heard. I think they could hear the other prisoners before this started. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Well, earthquakes were not unheard of in this region of the world. That's not so much where that's not where the miracle lies at all. It's in the timing of the miracle coinciding with with their worship and subsequent events. There's a chain. It's a link. Here they were praising God. The miracle comes and breaks the shackles, opens the doors. They have an opportunity to escape. But that they're not going to escape. They're going to remain. It's a little different from Peter's experiences. We'll come to that momentarily. But this was, of course, the Lord. Their singing rocked the jailhouse So much so, so much so, that a man was going to kill himself rather than have the authorities do it for him. We'll come to that too. Verse twenty-seven, and the and the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. This is a man of intense temperament. He uh, is going to show up. When he acts, when he goes into motion, this jailer, the little bit we know about him, it is intense. And this is the beginning. He sees they're gone. He's going to kill himself. Why? Because the penalty for allowing escapees was often in that ancient world, death. And it shows up in Acts 12. It shows up in Acts 27. And it shows up in secular literature also. So the reason why he was going to kill himself, because he would prefer doing, you know, if you, sometimes if you want to get a job done right, you just got to do it yourself. And rather than letting some henchman uh, butcher the job, uh, he would have settled it. But, verse 28 comes along, but Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Well, Paul knew what, would, what, was, going, what was going on. He knew that this is the deal in those days. Now, I, I briefly mentioned it's a different method from with Peter, going back to Acts chapter 12. And I hope, I hope, listening to these things is helping you as Christians, receiving either uh, a fresh uh, refreshment from the Word of God or direction, instruction. Uh, don't come to God's house looking to hear anything except from God. You come to church and you think, well, I want to hear the pastor. Then don't do that. I would, I would strongly advise don't do that. Just come with empty wineskins and let the Lord fill it. And I, I, I love the lessons in Scripture. And if I didn't, now sermons would be 20 minutes. Ain't going to happen. <laughs> Peter, Acts 12. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. And a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And then Peter got out of the prison, escaped. But Paul's audience is different from Peter's. Peter was in Jerusalem. They had heard the gospel. They knew about Jesus and all that he was doing. It wasn't that far after the crucifixion and ascension into heaven. Paul's audience did not hear the gospel. Oh, they heard Paul and Silas going through the town saying, you know, preaching the way of salvation and the, the uh, demon-possessed channel, channel girl going before them. But they had not the opportunity that those in Jerusalem had. And here, Paul and Silas opted to remain in jail to save the jailer's life. And even they did not know that they would be used by God to save the soul of the jailer. And this is a lot of, you know, we read these things. We want to see them happening in our lives. Except that caning part. <laughs> verse 29, then he called for light, ran in, fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. We pause there at verse 29. Now remember, there are other prisoners present and there are other uh Prison guards, they are also, that's when the jailer called for them to bring, bring the light. Uh, but he comes in trembling, and I mentioned to you that he was a man of intense temperament. He's going to kill himself because, well, you know, I, the prisoners are, are gone, it's going to happen to me anyway. He gets past that, he comes in and, and he is shaking physically. This had a physiological impact on this man, all that was going on. Verse 30, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Instant reversal. From killing himself to not killing himself, having this physical effect on him, this outward demonstration of what was happening on the inside. He had stood on the ledge of death. And one of the prisoners... The voice of these believers, the voice of righteousness saved him from that fatal step. Then God saved him from his spiritual state of death because the man was already dead spiritually. All are dead spiritually before Christ comes. Ephesians 1, uh, pardon me, 2, verse 1 and verse 5. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And then Continuing verse 5 in Ephesians 2, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. So Paul's writing to church at Ephesus, and he says, you were dead in your sins. Then he goes on and says, we were dead in our sins. All of us are. We start off under the curse. We have to come to salvation. But where did this question come from in this man? Where did he know to ask to be saved? Somehow, the idea, the idea about salvation got to him, enough of it, to know to in this desperate state that his soul was in a more desperate position than his life. Salvation as a doctrine was really not part of other religions in the ancient world, and it really is not a part of religions today. Not like it is in Christianity. Even the Old Testament awaits clarification on salvation through Christ in the New Testament, which really developed. The Greek and the Roman belief systems, they had no concept of salvation. The gods were the gods. And the underworld was the underworld. Not not like the mob, but uh, the afterlife that... um, that world, and they they had more questions in their religions than answers. The philosophers, you know, the great philosophers of the ancient world—Aristotle and Plato—which is he was pliable that guy. Um, they you they, read—they're they, more questions than answers. Christ comes along, he says, "Thus says, he says I say to you." You know, the prophets would come along. Thus says the Lord. Christ comes along. Well, I say to you, because he is. Son of God, God the Son. Most world religions have no concept of God's plan of salvation. Most of them are works-based. If you do good enough, you pay enough, you have to do something to be saved. And, of course, Christianity comes and just changes all of that. And this man got enough of that understanding in him. Clearly, the message that Paul and Silas were preaching in Philippi had circulated throughout Philippi enough, enough for him to know this was different and what they were saying. Well, the girl, she followed in verse 17. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Yeah, that's true. But coming from her, it had to be stopped. Stopped. She just echoed, she parroted what they were preaching. My point of all of this is to say, here's the jailer sleeping in his bed, going on with his life, no sense of need for salvation. There's this dramatic moment where the prison is, the earthquake comes and now he's in fear for his life. Today, today, how do you get people to want to come to you and say, how how do I get saved? How How do I... How am I spared a judgment from a holy God? We can't just snap our fingers and create an earthquake in their life. I think back in the eighties and the nineties, the seventies, the eighties, and nineties, there's just a different spirit of, around Christianity. There were more people interested in the gospel. But today, it, it doesn't seem that way. I have to be careful because I, I have a linear life, you know, from home to church, pick up milk, and back home. <laughs> but it's different. Why aren't people coming and saying to us, What must I do to be saved? Uh, I think it's a question that all Christians should be burdened with. We shouldn't dismiss this. And say, well, I'm saved. I, you know, I gotta go to church, I gotta go do this, I gotta do that. But I'm saved. We should be burdened for the lost. Amen. That's why Paul was taking the beatings. Because he had a burden for lost souls. He didn't say, Well, you know what? let let the world save itself. I'm gonna stay up here in Antioch where things are really going nicely. And he ventured out in faith. And uh, so he, the, the jailer, what must I do to be saved? Saved from what? Something had to, somehow he had to understand that he was in jeopardy. That it was real to him. And it was so real to him, the man was shaking. A question that those in Jericho did not ask Joshua. Neither did any of the Canaanites. With the exception of Rahab, he's the only one that connected the dots and came to a conclusion And when you connect the dots of a picture, you finally figure out what the picture looks like. And she knew, she heard the stories of the Jews, and she knew that they were coming, and that Yahweh was with them, and she wanted to be with them. But the rest of them did not. They were going to fight to the last man, resisting this God of the Jews. Those of antiquity, they scoffed at Noah. They scoffed at the message of the angels with Lot, you know, his his sons-in-law... They laughed at him, the Bible tells us. That is full of lessons there for the Christian. Is your testimony? Do people not take you serious as a Christian? One of the problems with kooky Christianity is the world won't take you serious after a while. One of the benefits of knowing the Word of God is they are forced to take you seriously, whether they like you or not, whether they come to Christ or not. Well, uh, they scoff to this day. I think back before I Christ grabbed hold of me, how blind I was, how just uh, like I was in a, a lead box or something, oblivious, just oblivious. I would never have known to come to someone and say, "What must I do to be saved?" And I got to remember that as I look to be used by God, to save souls. I give an a, a, a invitation to accept Christ every Sunday morning because I never want this assembly to think that somehow saving souls is secondary to Bible teaching. They go together like a head and a heart. They're inseparable. The purpose of you learning the Bible is to be used by God. And that call to be used by God must exceed your service in the church. It must go into, if you can't preach to them, you can pray for them. And uh, this should not be a day that goes by that you don't pray for some lost soul. I don't mean just your family members. It's easier to pray for them. They're annoying. (laughs) Okay, all right, they're not all annoying. You can pick the ones you like. No, I'm I'm being silly because I need a break. Okay, break's over. Verse 31. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. The man asked and the men were ready with the answer. They were straight to the point. No religion, no seminary, no created doctrine, no money, no work. Receive Christ. Believe in Christ. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10. If you believe. That he is the Lord. That God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You have to receive salvation. That invitation is incredible. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. You see, it, it's a... It's a mutual relationship. It's not just God, I'm saving you, and that's that. And it's not man saying, I will be saved. It it is working together. You get the invitation, you either receive it or you reject it. If you receive it, then God steps in in a big way, and you are born again and a new creation in the eyes of God. And then John chapter 6, most assuredly Jesus said, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Amen. This is why the apostles loved him. What happened when Jesus, after the resurrection, was at the seashore, of Gal- or the, the lake shore of Galilee, and they were on the boat, and they recognized it was him. John said, it is the Lord. The next thing that John heard was a splash in the water. Peter. That just jumped in was swimming. He just, I can't wait. That excitement should never leave us. That excitement. And me, you know, again, you can't flame all the time, but you can burn all the time. You can burn hot for Christ. Job did it the whole time he suffered. He still burned for God, and that's why when Job says, "Though he slays me, I will trust in Him." Job was very realistic. If it's not God laying this on me, then who else could it be? A profound statement on the sovereignty of God. And instead of saying, well, he is that sovereign and he's letting this happen to me, I reject him. That is not what he did. He stood up to those boys that accused him of all sorts of things with their just poorly thought out, short-sighted doctrine. Anyway, coming back to this, God has made salvation so simple. As I mentioned, Romans 10, 9 and 10. It's just a simple step it's, and, and, of course, humans come along and they complicate it. Now, it can't be that simple. You have to do this. You have to do that. They may not verbalize it, but oftentimes they're practicing it. Romans 10, 9 and 10, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is not lightweight stuff. you were born again, you appreciate it. But we're born again to get others to appreciate it. And I'd like to stir you any chance I can to have a burden to reach lost souls. It starts with prayer. Well, straight to the point, just a step, a step of faith out of the darkness, not into the darkness. It's into the light of Christ. And these Christians, they marched into Philippi. Sounding the note of hope, because that's what the world needs. Hope for lost souls. They don't believe it, many of them. there's going to be those you have to knock the dust off your feet and keep going, but there'll be others that will be saved. A holy God. That's our, our message. A holy God, the holy God, cared enough for sinners of all type to make a way for them to come in heaven. And you can have your, your, your place setting in heaven at the king's banquet table, or you can go to hell. It's your choice. It's your choice. Should I fluff that up? Should I make it sound like hell really ain't that bad and you'll do okay? That would be crazy. I'm not going to do something like that. You uh, so hear these men, uh, they believed Paul and Silas. They were beaten by others for preaching that they believed. And they were more than conquerors. And he says here, and you will be saved. No doubt in their voice, no hesitation. No, well, you you should be saved. Straight out, you will be saved. That's what the world wants. They don't want more questions. They want Christians to... Be excited about therefore. Why should anybody be excited about your testimony and you're not excited? Uh, that that thrill, you know. We talk about the, the Christmas songs with the thrill of the the, the, of the coming of Christ. Well, we should have that all the time. Anyway, this is the great answer that Christ has committed to every believer. Believe on the Lord and you will be saved. Everyone can have that confidence. Now, had God said, well, you need to pay your way into heaven, then the poor would have been eliminated immediately. It would not have been the good news. Had God said, earn your way into heaven, what about so many handicapped people who cannot earn, the sick? They would be doomed. But he said, believe, and anybody can believe. Anybody can believe. And maybe we need to point that out to people. Maybe we should say to them, you know, anybody can believe. Or anybody can go to hell. What do you say? It says, you and your household. Now, there are some that want to make that all complicated. It is certain that those in the jailer's family will also be saved if they believe. That's all it means. You'll be saved if you believe. So will the people in your house. So will the people down at the marketplace, down at the garage, down at the chariot wheel-making shop. Anybody who believes will be saved. It's not, well, you gotta be such and such a weight or such and such a height or such and such a country. Gospel doesn't factor any of that in. What it factors in is that you believe. Romans one. Now Paul, when he writes the Romans, the Roman letter, he's writing to believers that have been around a while, and he's been around a while, and yet the basics are still are still a priority. The majors are the majors. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Which makes you say, are you? Then he says, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And is ready to take a beating for it, too. You could add that, right? All who believe. Noah, he believed, and so did eight of the seven of his family members along with him. All who believed. Lot believed, as clumsy as he was in his faith, and so did four minus one of his family members. Others were lost. His wife believed for a while. And with longing eyes, she cast a glance at Sodom in disobedience to the instructions, and she perished. And Jesus later said, remember Lot's wife? You think this is a joke? Remember Lot's wife. Verse 32. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. It's not enough to believe, is it? Why is that? Because Satan's going to come along and try to pluck up the seeds. That's why. You can say, I believe. Then what? If there's no word of God there, if there's no discipleship there, if there's nothing else, what's going to happen to that soul? It's like just an abandoned child. And they gave them what they gave those people what they never had before god's word granted in america we have to, we don't have it this easy we can't just say believe in the lord jesus christ all the time and you will be saved because we've got to remove so much filthy rubbish that has cluttered up that aisle that leads to salvation that stream has been polluted and clogged and so you've got to take trash away You've got to say to a person, no, Christianity is not what you think it is, that you heard, that you got somewhere else. The Christianity is what the Bible says. Well, those Christians, well, Christ is not calling you to follow Christians. He's calling you to follow him. And the Christians who follow him, those you can follow also, so long as they are following Christ. And again, we can differ, and many churches differ on how God does this or that, but many of them all agree together who the Lord is. And that is a major point. And so they gave him what he never had, which was they gave them, Paul and Silas, gave the jailer and his household what they did not have, God's word. How many houses are out there that have Bibles in them and can't even find them or never open them? Can't tell if it's upside down or not when they do open it. But the carnal man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. We're supposed to help him out. Teach him what the Word of God is. Not the wisdom of the world. Or supposedly creative human ideas about creation and life and destiny. Human guessing. But the Word of God. What can Satan do with the likes of these type of servants... Lock them up in a prison and they convert the jailer. Torture them and they share in Christ's sufferings. Martyr them, they go straight to Christ in heaven. Turn them loose and they evangelize everybody they can. That's what Satan fears. Satan didn't like Paul just coming into Philippi and saving the women with Lydia and those. He didn't like that they were going around casting out demons. So he retaliates. He strikes back because he feared, he feared these men. And he loses. Satan does. He says, and your household. Paul was after everyone. He didn't say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, have a nice day. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And there are other people that Christ is after too. And let's begin in your house and let's not stop there. And Paul was saying, everyone in your house will be saved if they believe. And it would be, it would be very, uh, quite obnoxious to suggest that they would be saved whether they believed or not. Because then that goes against everything Paul was preaching. You know, you have to ask that question. It's precluded that question. Verse 33, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Yeah, because they all believed, that's why. There's no way Paul was going to baptize somebody if they didn't believe. So he, this is, a, the, the, I mentioned again the third time, the temperament of this man. He's going to kill himself, he stops. He's trembling before them, he stops. He brings them home, and he cares for their wounds, and he feeds them. He's a man of action. This is the touch of salvation, and it is instant. It's showing up in his life. He didn't say, thank you, I'm saved. Now, get back in the jail. Can't always do this. But you can certainly have the same attitude. The first time he touched these men was when he shackled them to the stocks. The last time, barring an embracing, a departing embrace when Paul left the city, the last time he, t- or the next time we read of him touching them, he's caring for their wounds. Wounds, I bear on my body the marks of Christ, Paul wrote to the Galatians already. And here he has more marks on his body for Christ. This is amazing grace. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Just what hell was fearing. Hell feared that these men would go and make converts, rescue them from condemnation, conversion by those burdened for lost souls. The Antichrist, throughout the ages, despised this. And why? What did Jesus ever do to anybody to make them despise him? The activity of Jesus Christ drives them mad. Well, we shrug our shoulders at that and get on with our business. In the days of Charles Spurgeon, the late 1800s, a great preacher of the gospel in London, there was another great preacher there too named Joseph Parker. And Joseph Parker said, we are not saved by making promises to God. We are saved by believing God's promises to us. So simple, so true. And we see it illustrated throughout the New Testament. Verse 34 Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. See the intensity of this character? You can do a character study on the Philippian jailer. And it does sound acrobatic, does it not? The Philippian. He's flipping. Okay. I know, you'll be out of here in a little while, but not before I'm done with you. Anyway, back to this. He brought them into his house. These are criminals in the eyes of the courts of Philippi. That will change in a moment, but on right now, it has not changed officially. He feeds them. Better than that gruel they might have been getting in jail. But here he is rejoicing, not letting that go. He's doing stuff. He says, oh, man, I just love the Lord. Thank you so much. Praise God. You can hear these, these, these just... Outburst of praise to God, and as they're talking, you think Paul and Barnabas are just not just eating and you know, they're not talking anymore. They're teaching, they're discipling. They don't have a lot of time. And it, well, at the moment, they probably think they're going to stay there. They're going to leave Luke there. And having believed in God with all his household, and Luke is careful to stress this: if this man can believe, if his family can also believe. What's the problem of others? So the man cared for them, rejoiced in his newfound faith. He, he, when Paul writes the Philippian letter years later and it comes to Philippi, he is very likely in the congregation years later when the letter to the uh, Philippians is read aloud in the service. When that letter arrives and it is delivered uh, from the pulpit, he's likely in that congregation, he and his family, And they would sit there as that letter was being read. The man who laid loving hands on the man who saved him. It was a very personal note, was it not? I don't think it ever faded. Uh, There were those alive in those days that could have protested this if it did. Paul and Silas, question, was it worth it? Was it worth the beating? Timothy, Luke, Titus, you saw your friends being abused by the government. What do you think now about God's handiwork in using the beatings to save a soul? A whole family in this case. We're not told their ages. It's irrelevant. It was to Luke, to the Holy Spirit, and it should be to us. Paul would live and serve to go through worse things. What? You mean this isn't the only beating? I mean, he had others already. Here's another one. Philippians chapter 3 that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death not, con, not transformed by the or conformed to the world but transformed in Christ conformed to the death of Christ if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Listen, preaching is probably good preaching is probably higher than what we can attain but Without that good preaching, we wouldn't attain the things we get. I remember hearing sermons and just being on fire afterwards. Well, I was preaching the sermons, of course. No, no, I, no. I mean, sitting in the pews. I mean, I, I could remember, man, I, could, I couldn't wait to leave church so I could share the gospel. And I'd say, boy, the next day I go to work, I'm going to bring this story up from the Bible. And I would, if God would give me the chance, and he often did. Well, anyway... Um, Paul and Silas, uh, it was worth it. The jailer and his household would have heard and uh, even got a copy of that Philippian letter, remembering that they were witnesses when Paul wrote that, when Paul says, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, when Paul wrote in that Philippian letter that uh, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, they would have been able to say, yep, that man was doing it. He, He practiced what he is preaching. He would remember how Paul saved his life. Do yourself no harm. He would remember how Paul saved his soul. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. You know, if anyone lines up against Christ and God's word and you join them, hell awaits you both. Not just the one that suckered you in, but you too, if you are foolish enough to drink that Kool-Aid, Exodus 32 this is talk about siding with Christ. This is when Moses comes down and finds, well, I'll let the story tell itself, 25 to 28, Exodus 32. Now, when Moses saw the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says Yahweh, God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp. And let every man kill his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. Now that part is the law, not (laughs) Christian. That 27th verse, we don't put our swords on to go kill people. But we put the word of God on to kill what the devil has done. And that is lie. And he continues, so the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. It was, a, it was totally under the law. It was just, it was an execution of judgment. But the part that I'm bringing out is, those Levites, Levites sided with Moses. And you young Christians, as you're still in school maybe, or just entering the, 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 the workforce or, the, or another level of school, of education. You better side with Christ. You better not let them sucker you away. You have you better understand the devil is not a rookie. He is not new at this stuff. He knows how to twist you up. But you're not defenseless. You have enough weapons in your bag to teach him a nasty lesson to stay away from you. And you know you have no excuse. You've been raised in the house of God. And if it irritates people around you that you remain loyal to Christ, let them be irritated as you are used by God in search to save more people. That is defiant misery. Uh, You know, whatever in life is not pleasant, you're preaching Christ anyway. Verse 35, and when it was day, the magistrate sent the, the officers saying, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to you to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. Now, he's just the messenger. He's saved. He's with them. And he's just delivering the message. Verse 37. But Paul said, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now, do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. Isn't <laughs> pride? This is not like, we're too, you know, you've got to learn. There's none of that. More than an injustice was committed. I mean, it could have been just, you know, this is not just. This is, this is a right and wrong, and, and you're wrong, and this needs to be handled the right way. But there's more than that. They were publicly judged for being Christians, for doing Christian things. They were shamed and beaten against Roman law as though they were criminals without a trial just on the word of someone else. And Paul did not want to have their witness for Christ associated with criminal charges. He'll write the Corinthians later in his second letter and say, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. So this was an important thing to him. He did not want to leave those Christians in Philippi with these wolves circling thinking that, you know, you Christians are criminals anyway. This had to be dealt with for the sake of the church. Leaving the church which he started, left to the wolves with false accusations, was would just be poor leadership and a death sentence for that church. And so, they sought judicial and civil vindication for Christ and his church. Now, the question is, I would have is, why did Paul wait until now to assert his rights to avoid a beating. Because when we get to Acts 22, they're about to beat him again. He says, "Hey, I'm a Roman. You're about to you you sure you want to do this?" And they don't. They stand down real quick. And then he says, "I appeal to Caesar" when they wanted to send him to Jerusalem where they would have assassinated him. How come he waits till now? I think that he wasn't crystal clear on his rights going forward as a Christian. And as he was in jail, maybe some, you know, somebody else says, you know, you should have appealed to this as a Roman citizen. And Paul probably said, you know, you're right. How come I lost sight of that? And so now he, he brings up, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. That's the best I can do with this. I think that's, it went along those lines because, again, he, he's not when he can avoid a beating, he's going to. It wasn't like, well, I'm a Christian. Go ahead, lay it on me. Verse 38, and the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Yeah, I bet they were. They were panicked because Rome did not play games. You touch a Roman citizen, you touch Caesar, and they would come down on you pretty hard. Verse 39, then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart the city. He <laughs> said, we are so sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Can you just leave? Uh, we, we just don't want you ratting us out to Caesar because he'll come kill us all. Well, uh, so the authorities in Philippi violated the Roman authority and were panicked. And they issued the public declaration that they were innocent. That would go well for the Philippian church. And that's probably one of the reasons why the Philippian church is one of the best churches in the New Testament. Because there were some bad ones. Verse 40 so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Man, could you imagine being a fly on the wall when they entered? A fly on the wall who could speak English, or, well, in their case, ancient Greek. Uh, you know, and you're just hearing Paul come in and Lydia welcoming. She probably had a big spread laid out. Paul's said, oh, I just ate that jailer's house. Uh, I mean, just, you know, just a wonderful little note that Luke puts in there. But there's another interesting thing, thing, why I mentioned Luke probably stays in Philippi. Because again, the pronouns change from us to they. And so we read verse 40 again, so they went out of the prison, entered the house of Lydia, and they... Um, when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Not, we encouraged them and we departed, but they departed. Which is a signal, because he doesn't come back with the pronouns again till chapter 20. And you do the math, and you say, well, that's about five, six years. And so he's likely staying in, in Philippi with some other brothers to build this church. And then he rejoins them later. Well, while Paul and Silas move on to Thessalonica, Paul did not allow this fresh experience to stop him from preaching the gospel. So he's going to leave the city of Philippi, still smarting, still hurt. I mean, you don't just heal from that kind of caning like in a week. And he goes through two other sort of small military outpost towns. Wasn't anything happening there. And he arrives in Thessalonica when he gets to Thessalonica, I mean, he just starts doing it again. And this is what we read when he, years, not years later, maybe months later, he writes to the Thessalonians because he's going to get chased out of that city too. In verse uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 2, he writes to them. He says, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, We were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Man, be like that kind of a servant. I whine when the sanctuary is not full. (laughs) Where are the people, Lord? What am I doing wrong? Shut up. (laughs) No, he does never say that. God has never told me to shut up. He just sort of cast His shadow. And I knew to shut up. Anyway, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, it it is magnificent. The experiences of your servants in the Spirit, under orders, so much want to be like like them. So much want to be more like you, Lord Jesus. The flesh, the world, Satan coming against us. And yet, and yet, you still, you give so much, and we do have victories. We we do have a burden for lost souls and a burden to please you. We know your grace and your mercy upon us, and we are so grateful. If you've been listening, whether online, whether in the future, or right now in the sanctuary, if you've not opened your heart to Christ, you have an opportunity. You're not promised multiple opportunities. This might be your last one. You have an opportunity to come to Christ. Because you are dead in your sins without him, and you're not fit for heaven. You can only be brought into heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him whether you like it or not, that's how it is. But you can love it. You can open your heart and you can receive him as your Lord and Savior as the Philippian and his family did years ago, centuries ago. If you make this prayer, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I repent. I admit that I break your law and I come to you because there's no one else who died for me and rose again for the, from the dead to demonstrate that he has, you have the power to save lost souls. I come to you, I ask you to forgive me, and I ask you to be from this day forward my Lord and Savior, because I believe in you. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer, may they not be ashamed of it. May it be quite the opposite. May they rejoice in it. Let their confession be known to men when invited to do so. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The pastor to my left, if you have prayer, prayer requests or praise reports, he is here. If you've opened your heart to Christ, you can jump to the front of the line. No, you can't. You've got to wait like everybody else. You're a Christian now. If you've opened your heart, <laughs> if you've opened your heart to Christ, you, I strongly advise you come up and you make that confession out loud. I've just given my life to Christ. If you're listening online, call the church. Say, I've given my life to Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning, may, as we go out into the world, may we not be sidetracked and bogged down. We are expected to do business until you come, and that includes taking care of our homes, our lives, our hygiene, and a burden for lost souls. We pray you help us with all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.